want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We returned to our Sermon on the Mount series two weeks ago, and then last week had a guest. Uh, and so today we return again to that series, and we're going to work our way through to the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount over the coming weeks leading up to Christmas. So we're going to pick things up in uh, Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Uh, about a dozen or so years ago, I, I was woken up suddenly in the middle of the night with with what proved to be uh, pain from a kidney stone. Perhaps some of you have had that experience. Um, it was unpleasant. I survived. And I remember the next day sitting at a dining room table having supper and explaining a little bit of what uh, I had gone through to, uh, Christine had already heard, but to my boys. And uh, they were mostly amused, but one of them, uh, who was a little bit afraid of pain, uh, was really quite anxious. He became anxious and said, could, could I could I get a kidney stone? And I said, well, yes, that could happen. I'm not, probably not for a long time and maybe not at all, but it's possible. Well, that was not what he wanted to hear. And so he, he got really worried and he, he kind of, he's like, I don't want a kidney stone, dad. I don't want a kidney stone. And he got so worked up and so anxious. I think there were even tears. And it was, it was one of those moments as a parent where your heart just kind of breaks for your child and part of you wants to chuckle because it's kind of funny. But but he was really, really worried. He was really, really anxious about this thing that could happen. This morning, we come to a passage in the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus speaks about worry. Jesus says to us, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about tomorrow. We're going to focus on that and Listen to what Jesus has to say to us about worry. Uh, before I read the text, let me uh, preface my, uh, the, what I'm going to say with a quick review of what we find when we come to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, the largest block of Jesus' teaching in the Bible, is prefaced by an announcement of good news. The good news that in His coming, a whole new world order is breaking in the future, is breaking into the present. Heaven is invading the earth. Uh, I have been contending throughout this series that, that when the good news takes root in a person's life, when the Holy Spirit is having His way in someone's heart, something happens. And that something that happens is described for us by Jesus in this sermon. That something that happens is the creation of a new kind of humanity, a new kind of people. Men and women who e exhibit different characteristics, different uh, purposes. They live for different purposes, different ambitions, different behaviors. Their lives are transformed by the good news that in Christ, through His cross, His sin-atoning death, we are forgiven and washed clean. We are clothed with His perfection and made alive eternally. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not giving us a new law. He's not giving us the old law cranked up on steroids. No, He is painting a picture for us. A portrait of gospelized humanity, a new kind of humanity. Humanity being brought into being by the power of the gospel and of the Spirit. Two Sundays ago, we entered into a new section of the Sermon on the Mount at verse 19 of chapter 6. Uh, today, we're going to look at the second half of that section. 
together, uh, I noted last week that they speak to these two uh, parts, what we looked at two weeks ago, what we look at today, speak to how gospelized people are to relate to the world uh, we live in, how gospelized people are to live in the world but not of the world. If you were with us uh, last week or two weeks ago, you'll remember that we walked through that text and it had three paragraphs. Jesus spoke of three things which might have initially seemed disjointed. I trust that through our exploration you saw how they are all linked together. First, Jesus spoke about treasure. He, he called us not to seek after uh, earthly treasure, but to seek after heavenly treasure. Then he talked about our eyes, our, our vision. What does it mean to have good eyes? And then he spoke about masters and loyalty. He, he said that, that our hearts, we need to pay attention to where our hearts go because our hearts will follow whatever it is we treasure. He, he didn't say don't seek treasure. He said pay attention to the kind of treasure you're, you're seeking because earthly treasure is fleeting. He calls us to pursue heavenly treasure that is durable and secure and lasting. He spoke about our eyes and said that if we have poor eyes, bad eyes, unhealthy eyes, we will be in darkness stumbling around. But if we have good eyes, and good eyes means single focused eyes, eyes focused on Christ, we'll walk in the light. Thirdly, he spoke about masters. And he said you cannot serve two masters. He, he didn't say you shouldn't. He, he didn't say don't try. He said you can't. It's impossible. In a moment of crisis, your loyalty to someone or something will be shown to be what it is. Today's passage continues uh, that section of Jesus' sermon on how we are to live in this world but not of it, how we relate to the world in which we find ourselves. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along as I pick things up at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In our time remaining, I want to speak to three things. First, I, I want to address, I, I want to speak to things that Jesus is not saying, what he is not teaching. Then secondly, I want to turn to what is Jesus saying to us. And third, uh, what is he saying to you and I this morning? How does this impact our lives? So first, oh sorry, first the critical connection of this text with the previous one. Secondly, what Jesus is not saying. Thirdly, what he's saying. I already noted that this is part two of 
uh, of a, a new section in the Sermon on the Mount, very closely connected to what we looked at two weeks ago. Um, the connection is made explicitly. If you look at the text, the first word in our English translations is the word therefore. And I know this is cheesy, but it works. Whenever you see a therefore, you should ask yourself what the therefore is there for. It, it is connecting what is about to come with what happened before. So our text begins with therefore. In the original it says because of this or for this, meaning for this reason. Therefore, in light of what has just been articulated, now this. And so we need to understand that connection. We need to remember that as we explore this passage today that we keep it firmly anchored to what we looked at uh, two weeks ago. And the point of that whole passage is that your heart will follow what you treasure, your life will go in the direction of your focus, what you're looking at, and you can only serve one master. And, and so what you treasure, what you're focused on, and, and what you, who you serve shapes your life. It, reflexively. It, it just, it happens. It's not something you think about. It's not something you decide. It just happens. So bearing that in mind here with the therefore of our text, we need to ask the question, what is it that we are to recognize? What is the connection? The passage we are exploring today speaks about worry, about anxiety. The NIV heading for this paragraph is, do not worry. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. So what, what we are to grasp is this, that anxiety is rooted in our choices about treasure, about vision, and about our master. Daryl Johnson puts it this, this way, the choices we make regarding these three laws lead to particular states of being which issue in preoccupations of the heart. Let me read that again. The choices we make regarding these three laws, what we treasure, what we're looking at, who we serve, lead to particular states of being which issue in preoccupations of the heart. In these two sections, we see first the dangers of pursuing uh, things of this world, of loving them, of treasuring them, of focusing our vision on the things of this world, on serving mammon. And remember, mammon is anything that we look to for security. Translated money in the NIV, the word literally is mammon. It doesn't have to be money. It's anything that we look to for our security. On the one hand, that's a danger of loving and treasuring, pursuing things of this world, of focusing on things of this world, of serving things of this world. On the other hand, what we're going to look at today is to worry, to be anxious about the things of this world. Let's turn to what Jesus is not saying. First, Jesus is not saying that we don't have physical needs. He, he made us, he sustains us, and and he knows that we need to eat, that we need to drink, that we need clothes to cover our bodies, to keep ourselves warm and protected from the elements. God knows. Uh, he, he's made us. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, just a, a few paragraphs before this, Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. He taught us to pray that God would meet our needs for the next 24 hours, that, that God would provide all that is necessary. See, God cares about our bodies. God cares about his creation. God created this world. He created us. And, and when he created the world, he said over and over and over every day, it, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he creates humanity and he says, and it was very good. 
we see how much Jesus valued the importance he puts on bodies in his ministry where he feeds people. He, he heals bodies. Uh, we have physical needs. Jesus is not suggesting for a moment that we don't need that. He knows that we have needs. That's not what he's saying. Second, he's not saying that we should not think of our needs. The King James Version, I would contend, did a poor job translating at this point. Those of you familiar with it might recall the the words, take no thought, is how they they translated it. And, And the point here of the original text is not that we take no thought, that we don't think about it. It's a particular kind of way of thinking about it, anxious thinking about it that we're not together. Jesus is not saying, don't think. In fact, in this text, Jesus is going to call us to think. He's going to say, hey, consider the birds. Look at the flowers in the field. He calls us to think through what's going on. So it's the, he, he knows that we have needs. He doesn't tell us you don't have needs. And he's not telling us that we are not to give this any thought at all. Third, he's not saying that we should give no forethought. That is, planning ahead. Planning ahead is a good thing, a, a godly thing. To save is a good thing. Uh, in the book of Proverbs, the ant is praised because it stores up for the season ahead. We read this in Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider, it, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Jesus does not forbid any forethought. He forbids anxious thought. And the word translated there, anxious here, is, is the word when he says, do not worry, is, is the same word that we find in the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha. You remember when Jesus went to their, their home, Luke 10, and Mary sits down at Jesus' feet with the disciples and is being taught, and Martha's running around the kitchen cooking for at least 13, 14 people. And she comes to Jesus and complains and says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister Mary has left me to do all this work? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried. This word. You're worried about many things, but Mary has chosen what is better. That's the word here. This is the same word that Jesus uses in the parable of the soils to speak about the soil that, uh, of the person who hears the word, but Let's the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. We are not to have uh, this anxious thought, which, which means thought that monopolizes our hearts. Fourth, Jesus is not saying that we should not work hard to provide for our needs. That we just sit back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm ready for lunch. Jesus isn't saying that. He's not saying that we shouldn't work. God feeds the birds, but how? I've, God doesn't reach down and drop a handful of seed into every nest. So what's he saying? He provides the seed. He provides the, the ability for them to find it. God does the same for us. He gives us the means to meet our needs. He gives us health and skills and knowledge and opportunities to work. And so he's not saying here, hey, don't, don't work to provide your means. In, in fact, In the second letter to the Thessalonians, Paul challenges, he confronts a problem going on in that church. See, many in that church were believing that Jesus' return was imminent, that it was coming soon. And some of them had thought, hey, good time to hand in my resignation. And they were sitting around, mooching off the community, no longer working. And Paul holds up his example as a tent maker and says, hey, they need to get back to work. And he says that the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
So work is affirmed and taught in Scripture. That's a good thing. The fifth thing Jesus is not saying is that we should not care for others and help meet others' needs. God uses us to help meet the needs of one another. We are called explicitly to provide for our household, our family, our relatives. 1 Timothy 5, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own households has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In 1 John We read, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So we can't sit back and go, hey, God promised to meet their needs. I'm not going to do anything. No, God leads us to be generous with what he's given us to help meet the needs of others. I would contend that both globally and locally, the problem of hunger is not a lack of food but a lack of distribution. A lack of generosity. People hoard. People spoil. People waste. People look inward at their own life and don't have their eyes up on a a world that is needing help. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus will tell us to feed the hungry, to, to give a drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked. God's means for meeting the needs of one another sometimes will be one another in community. When Chrysalene and I first arrived in Edmonton more than two decades ago, we arrived here with a boatload of student loan and maxed out credit cards, and things were tight. But it was amazing. Over a season, and I still we have no idea where this came from, but, but every, every month or so, we would find a little envelope in our church mailbox with some cash in it at just the right time. And, and, and another time... We were parents, we got here, we had one son, he was 15 months old. Some of you totally identify with this. When you're in that season, you're desperate for sleep. That was just one son, more were to follow, but, but you're desperate for sleep as a parent of, of young ones. And one particular night, Calvin was asleep upstairs in his room. We were downstairs watching TV, and all of a sudden someone rang our doorbell. Not once. Ding, 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 bunch of times. And the doorbell in our house is right outside Calvin's door, and so... I freaked out a little bit. Oh, if they woke him! Like, you're desperate for those moments of rest, right? And so I went charging upstairs, ran to the door, ready to rip into someone. And I opened the door, and our whole porch was full of groceries, and a car was speeding away. And I had to humble myself and repent. God uses us to help meet the needs of one another. Jesus isn't saying that we are not to to recognize that. Sixth and finally, Jesus is not saying that we will be exempt from trouble, and I think this is an important thing for us to hear. To be free of worry does not mean being free of trouble. God feeds the birds. That's what Jesus tells us. Look, God feeds the birds, but in Matthew 10, Jesus will say this, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Notice sparrows do fall to the the ground. We can look to God to provide to meet our needs, but we can look to God knowing that he is always with us no matter what we are encountering, what we face, no matter what we face. Let's turn secondly to what Jesus is saying to us today. First, Jesus' argument argues from the greater to the lesser. I already made the point that Jesus created us. He made us. He knows how we're made. He knows uh, the needs that we have. God also sustains us. Uh, Every breath that we take is because of 
He sustains us in moment to moment. So often we, even as followers of Jesus, can slip into a deistic thinking. And deism simply is the belief that, that there's a God who made the world kind of like a, a watchmaker makes a watch, winds it up, and then it's, it kind of runs on its own. And maybe God intervenes every once in a while, but essentially the world is kind of operating. And often we can think that way. But the truth is, biblically, we're told God not only created the world, but God sustains the world moment by moment. Every breath that you take is a gift of God. And the moment he stops, we're done. God God has given us life. And Jesus says, if God has given you life, don't you think he can give you lunch? If he can meet the greater needs of giving you life, can he not meet your needs for food and for clothing? We don't have to worry about these things, Jesus says. Uh, What what some people call the, the, the world's trinity. Food and drink and clothing. The the world around us pursues these things. Just go home and spend a few minutes watching television and and make note of what the advertisements are about, right? You need to eat this pizza or drink this beer or whatever it is. You you need to wear these clothes and, and you just watch. The world is obsessed with these things. What we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. The Father will meet your needs. Second, Jesus says that we are to look to nature. I've already pointed at this. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. Jesus calls us to think, observe, see what's going on. Look at the birds of the air. God provides for them. Verse 28, see how the the flowers of the field grow. Look around you, see what God is doing. And throughout creation, it was good, it was good, it was good. comes to us, it says, very good. How much more valuable to him are you? Jesus wants us to look around and see that God meets the needs in creation around us. The birds, that he cares for the grass of the field. How much more will he care for us and meet our needs? John Calvin writes these words, birds and flowers preach to us. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? We are called as people redeemed by Christ to trust him. To trust him, to look to him, to put our confidence in him, not in worldly wealth, not in our ability to to do this. We look to him. German theologian Helmut Thielica says this, every worry is a vote of no confidence in God. Sorry, Lord, but you can't meet this need. I can't count on you to meet this need. Third, Jesus speaks about the pointlessness of worry. Worry is completely unproductive. It accomplishes nothing, nothing good. Can any of you, any one of you, by worrying at a single hour to your life? You can't. We can worry about kinds of things. Worry will accomplish nothing good. Jesus, Jesus says it, it, it's, it's pointless. Again, look, we, we are called to trust in God our Savior. We're, we're called to trust in his goodness. We are called to trust in his love, in his provision for us, that, that he looks at us and sees us as valuable. He has valued us so highly that he sent his only son, Jesus. Jesus took on flesh and became human. He, he came to earth and he lived among us and he suffered and then he was falsely charged, convicted, and nailed to a cross, and he suffered in our place. Out of God's love for us, 
He bore the penalty that we deserved, and through trusting in Him, we are forgiven. Through trusting in Him, we are clothed with His perfection. That's the good news, the gospel. And and we can trust in God, the God who sent His Son to redeem us. We are valued and precious in His sight. Fourth, Jesus reminds us that that our lives are to look different than the lives of those around us. Listen to verses 31 and 32. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is is painting a portrait for us of gospelized humanity. What men and women look like, young and old, boys and girls, teenagers, what we look like when we believe the good news that in Jesus God has redeemed us, He has forgiven us, He has made us perfect, clothing us with the perfection of Christ, that we are secure, and though we face death, we need not fear because death is only entrance into eternity in His presence when all things will finally be set right. So do not worry. Do not look those around you who do not live with that hope. We, we, as the gospelized, are to be transformed, to be changed, and to live as people who are not consumed with this kind of worry. The gospel means that we're loved, that we're saved, that we're secure. And these gospel truths impact us when we take them into our hearts and our minds we are transformed into gospelized people. Fifth and finally, Jesus tells us what we are to seek. We are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Remember the passage that precedes the passage we're looking at today about treasure, about vision, about masters? We are to seek First, his kingdom. What you treasure, where our eyes are fixed, who your master is will shape your life profoundly, inevitably. And here is the solution to worry. We need to shift our focus where our focus is wrong. We need to seek first the kingdom of, of God, the kingdom of heaven. We need to seek first his righteousness, the right relatedness of all things. That is, we need to surrender our lives fully to Christ We need to come to him and recognize this isn't something we achieve by our own striving and our own efforts. We come to Jesus and we celebrate the gospel. We proclaim to ourselves, we proclaim to one another that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are righteous in his sight, that we are his children adopted. We proclaim our new identity in the gospel. And out of that gospel, we we ask Jesus to come and continue to change us. Lord, lead us to that place of full surrender, that we would serve you, that you alone would be our master, that we would fix our eyes on you and on your kingdom alone, that we would let go of all earthly things and pursue heavenly treasures, Lord Jesus. And Jesus will bring about transformation. We are to seek what cannot be shaken, his inbreaking kingdom. His reign over all things. His setting all things right. His setting things back into right relationship with God, one another, with creation. With Him bringing the curse to an end, the reverse of the curse through the cross of Christ. Seek first His kingdom. Seek first the things of Christ. Seek first what He is doing. And these worries will fade away. They will shrivel and die. 
I want to conclude with this. God, God has created us with the capacity to experience a whole host of emotions. And, and worry and anxiety are among those. And we will, we will inevitably experience those at moments. It was not unreasonable for my son to feel worried about experiencing this pain. But, but though we will experience those moments, we don't have to stay there. We don't have to remain in that place. We don't have to let worry consume us. We can bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me take my eyes off of this thing, this need, this situation, and focus on you. Teach me what it looks like in this moment to seek first your kingdom. Jesus wants us to look up, to see the birds, to see the grass of the field, and to remember our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us, who has redeemed us, and we are to seek first His kingdom. We are to pour out our lives for Him, not for self. Not for self. In the early centuries, fourth century, the Roman emperor Julian the Apostate failed in his efforts to suppress Christianity. He wanted to wipe Christianity out. This is this distinctive he was unable to do it because the Christians of his day were, were living such radically distinct lives from all those around them. Here's what he wrote, this emperor who wanted to, to crush Christianity. He said, we ought to be ashamed. Not a beggar is to be found among the Jews and those godless Galileans, meaning the Christians, who feed not only their own people but ours as well, whereas our people receive no assistance whatever from us. The, the, the church in those early centuries lived such a radically distinct life. Their eyes fixed on the kingdom of God, pouring out themselves and what they had to meet the needs of others, living out of those gospel realities that, that the church grew and the, the Roman Empire could not overcome it. Brothers and sisters, Jesus does not promise us that we will have a life free of trouble. He says, the text, our text concludes... Each day has enough trouble of its own. But he promises us that in that trouble we don't have to worry because he's with us. He's got us. He will meet our needs. Instead, we are to seek what cannot be shaken. We are to live for what cannot be shaken, trusting in the one who holds us and all things in his loving hands. Amen.